Hey friend, I'm Beth Ann Schwamberger, host of the Brilliant Business Moms podcast. This show is all about brilliant women, just like you, who are growing their businesses in the margins. You're juggling nap time and work time, wiping up messes with writing blogs, and I don't believe you need big, impressive numbers or shiny accolades behind your name to be brilliant. This show is about realistic, doable strategies that will work for you and your business right where you are. Big and little wins are celebrated here, and every single one of my listeners is a big deal in my book. Grab your coffee, and maybe the laundry, and be encouraged by business mamas who'll make working in the margins just a little more fun. Hey friend, thanks for letting me into your earbuds today. I know what a privileged place that is, so I'm just really thankful I get to be here. You are going to absolutely love today's interview with Molly Goodall of Little Goodall. Molly has a Shopify store where she designs the most beautiful children's coats. And then she works with local makers here in the U.S. to make those coats come to life. On today's episode, Molly will share a brilliant strategy with us on how to generate more excitement for your products and even turn some of your slowest sales months into your best sales months with VIP sales. Molly hosts VIP sales twice a year to her subscribers and She has turned those slow sales months into her very best ones. It's pretty incredible. And that's considering the holiday season, Christmas sales. Molly now has higher sales numbers on the months of her VIP sales. She's going to tell you all the ins and outs of how she does this, how she builds excitement, and even the tech and the things you need to have set up on the back end. We also chat about collaborations with other brilliant makers. Molly has collaborated with different artists and even with the Eric Carle brand to put incredible, unique designs out into the world. So you'll learn the ins and outs of that too. Now, if you'd like to develop a brilliant marketing plan for your business, like Molly has done for hers, I've got a freebie just for you. Head to brilliantbusinessmoms.com forward slash marketing plan to get your hands on my five-part system. In this plan, you'll learn how to define your offer, become BFFs with your audience, develop a freebie that leads to sales, create compelling pre-launch content, and then launch your offer to raving fans who can't wait to buy. You need all five parts of this brilliant marketing system in order to see incredible results. I can't wait for you to get your hands on this. So make sure you head to brilliantbusinessmoms.com forward slash marketing plan. And remember, this is totally free. Let's get to it, friend. You're going to learn so much from Molly Goodall. Today on the show, I'm so excited to have Molly Goodall with me. So she is the founder of Little Goodall. It is the most adorable children's coat and also dresses and accessories company. Uh, you truly need to go check out Little Goodall's website because Molly just has the most creative point of view for her coats and clothing. And um, I'm just so excited to chat with her today. So welcome to the show, Molly. Thank you. Thank you for the nice intro. You're welcome. I truly, I you are one of those uh, children's clothing designers and creators that I just really look up to. I just think you're always coming up with the most beautiful designs and they're so unique. And yeah, I mean, just keep up the good work because I always love seeing what you're up to. Thank you. I I really love it. We have a lot of fun. All our different 
types of things that we make and I've always got new ideas. It's just finding the time to, um, to get them, make them happen, make them a reality. Oh, that's so true. That actually brings me to a great question. How do you decide how many new designs to release and create for a new season? It's really tough because usually I have a lot more than I'm able to get out. And so I start out with like really big, like a huge new list at the beginning of every season. And then I sort of start taking off the ones that are most important, filling any holes in the line that we need. And then I usually end up not getting to do a lot of them, (laughs) but those just roll over to the next season. So for some styles, you know, it's like they were like years in the making. Like it took me, I think it took us like two years before we made our first bunny coat. And the bunny coats, I was just looking last night when we started with the bunny coats, it was actually back in 2013. And that style is still a big seller for us. So it may have taken me two years to get them out there, but it was worth the wait. So, and then sometimes it's based on like right now we're doing collaborations and when we're doing collaborations, those generally come in front of our regular line because we are working with somebody else who's also expecting those products to launch at a specific time. Okay. That makes sense. And yeah, again, you guys seriously go check out Molly's site because these bunny coats are adorable. <laughs> they, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I could put Levi in one or definitely if we have a little girl, I'm going to be all over your shop. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about collaborations. Like how does that work and how, how do you find people to collaborate with and um, how do you make it beneficial for everyone? The first collaborations that we did, I had just people reach out to me and it was really like, okay, now I have to get my head around this. How can we make this work? How's this going to work? How's, how's this going to work for me? How's this going to work for them? Um, what do we, what, what resources do I have to set aside for this? And it actually, the first one we started was with an illustrator. We're, we're still working with that illustrator. Since then, we've been, like right now we're doing our Willa Hart collaborations. And that was somewhere, one where I had seen her work on Instagram and I loved it. And I just saw very clearly from her artwork how I could transform that into a coat. And, and it was like I had these, you know, very clear concept of what I wanted to do with it. And so I just reached out to her, sent her a cold email and said, this is, I make children's coats. I would love to collaborate with you on a line of these coats that would have your feature, your artwork as embroideries on them. And she really loved the idea and she could also see very clearly what I wanted to do. And we had to kind of talk back and forth about how it would work with, like she had other collaborations that she was working on. So we had to make sure that she was giving me a segment that she hadn't already given someone else. And then we had a a contract that I had used with the other illustrator. And so that's how that came together. And so it's really, we just kind of go back and forth. Um, This year is the first year we've had some really big collaborations with the world of Eric Carle. And they had reached out to me because this is the 50th year of the publication of The Very Hungry Caterpillar. And they saw a natural fit as well between... Eric Carl's artwork and the sort of tactile quality of our coats and how our coats are kind of collaged together. And so I started talking with them and I went up and met with them. And that one's a little bit different because it's a, well, all of our collaborations that I'm talking about are licensing collaborations, but it's a larger licensing collaboration than the others. So each one, it's kind of like baby steps, like how do we do this? And then we move up to the next one and we move up to the next one and just kind of 
I ask a lot of questions because I said, I've never done this before. And we get it together in the long run. Okay, gotcha. So talk to me about what a licensing agreement looks like. Because to be quite honest, other than what I've heard on Shark Tank of them saying, oh, we can take this to a big company and they'll license it. You know, that's like basically the only information I have about a licensing deal. So do you mind sharing maybe a few more details about are there royalties involved and just how how does how does all that work? So basically the licensing agreement says that they will give me the rights to use this specific piece of artwork or design, which may be created specifically for me or maybe something that exists already. They're giving me the license to use it to create a product. And the product will bear, if it's a collaboration, the product will bear both of our names, which will you will have to agree on how they will fit together and what the label will look like. But they will receive a commission off of the sales. And I've been on both ends of this because when Simplicity licensed a pattern from us, it was the same thing. I provided them with the the style for the pattern, a physical pattern. They printed it into a Simplicity pattern that was that was released. And every one of those patterns that sold in a Joann's or any other pattern store in the world, I would receive a percentage of that sale. And so it differs with every project, but that's that's kind of essentially the thing. They're also granting me a specific license. Like when I'm working with Allie Willa Hart, she's licensed like women's pajamas too. So I have the rights to use it for children's clothing and accessories, and they have the rights to use it for women's pajamas. So there are different categories everywhere. And Allie licenses, like she's got stationary companies that license her designs. She's got like us, you know, we license it for children's wear. It can really, it's really just a, an agreement between the person who's putting in X and the person who's making the product and selling it. But it's also important to think about what you are putting into, what you're adding to it. Because with Allie, it's not just her artwork that makes the coats interesting, it's the way that we put the designs together and a coat. So it's a partnership more than just like printing Mickey Mouse on a t shirt and selling the t shirt which is also a licensing arrangement. Right. Yours involves a lot more creation and creative implementation, I would say. Yeah. And I, I like to think of it as when my input and their input come together and they make a product that's better and more special than anything that we would have made individually. And that's why collaborations are so fun and exciting to me as a designer, because it really is like this, you know, you're working together as a team to come up with something that's like better than either of you could do with your individual thing on their own. It elevates the garment or the product to something really special. I love that. And I think it's really encouraging for anyone listening who might be a really talented artist or designer in some capacity, or even you're a children's book illustrator or author. There is room out there for you to potentially collaborate with people who make other products and to get your beautiful designs and images and branding out there in new and unique ways. So, you know, there are so many ways to basically get paid to be creative. So Molly, I'm a little curious if you're able to maybe give like a percentage range, like if you're using someone's beautiful artwork as part of your coat design, What's like a percentage range that you would then be paying that person off of your sales? 
Okay, so industry standard, from my understanding, is usually between 8 and 15%. Okay. It changes depending on whether... For instance, if I'm going to pay an illustrator up front to create an illustration for me, then I might pay her a flat fee for that artwork, and then then maybe her royalty would be less. Okay. And, and when I worked with Simplicity, my rate on the patterns, I, it was like 2.3% a pattern was what I got when it was sold. Okay. So that's a little different, but I would say kind of generally... The sweet spot is generally between eight and and fifteen, maybe maybe closer. I'd say average at ten. Okay, and I would assume that if you're working with a really big, well known brand, like for example, the world of Eric Carl, and doing something around the very hungry caterpillar, that maybe in that case they're getting a higher royalty because they're almost elevating your brand status. Right, right. Because with someone like them, there are a lot more people who know and love the Very Hungry Caterpillar than know who Little Goodall is. And so you're going to be, they're, they're much more established. This is not their first rodeo in terms of, of licensing. So they have things that they already have in place and there's a sort of, it's been set. Okay, that makes sense. To be quite honest, we veered into licensing. I had this totally different plan for what we're going to chat about today, but I was just so intrigued. I was like, oh, I didn't even think about the collaborations and how you're planning that into your releases. And I just think it's so fun. There's just, there's so many ways to be creative, create new products and grow a business. So I would love to dive into Another way that you grow your business, which is through your uh, private VIP sales that you offer to your email subscribers. So I would love for you to start with how you structure those sales and how you encourage people to sign up basically to get access to those sales. Sure. Our private sales started as a result of me having no mailing list. <laughs> and and I had been listening, um, I'd been listening to a lot of your podcasts, and I'd also been doing some of the courses, Facebook Brilliance course and other courses. And I realized that I really needed to try to collect emails so that I could I can kind of communicate and work directly with our customers instead of just kind of throwing stuff out there and seeing what stuck. And this was like a few years ago. So this was back in the day where Facebook still had some sort of reach. When you posted on your Facebook page, you had viewers who would still see it. And from what I understand, it's going down to zero if it isn't there already. And I see that on our Facebook page. So I had this idea that if we were to have a sale of things that we'd usually put on sale, and these were like samples where we had made something and it was our first production sample. And then it had been hanging around in the workroom and it was still really cute and in good condition, but it wasn't a first quality item or items where maybe we'd loaned them to a photographer and then gotten them back. So again, they weren't like brand new things, but they were still really nice. Odds and ends styles that we were retiring and we still had a few pieces left. I thought we'd put together this, this sale of all of these items But instead of just putting it out there and saying, hey, people, there's a sale, we would create offer to our people that were already a part of our community by letting them into the sale. So it would be a private sale and also invite more people into our world by collecting their email addresses and emailing them when the sale was launched to kind of introduce them to our brand. So 
it sort of supports three of our really important brand values. One of the, those is accessibility, which is our products are they're more expensive than a lot of products because they're handmade and they're handmade here in the United States. And so by having a sale like this, we would be able to offer special deals to people who maybe follow us and support us, but can't afford to buy one of our coats at regular price. It also supports our sustainability value because we don't have back stock that just hangs around. When we have a sale, everything goes. It goes down to the last piece. And so it cleans out our stock room. It gets us ready to bring in our new products. And it also clears out all those little samples and items that might be junk. They might be sent to a thrift store. Instead, they're going to somebody who knows what they are and values them and is excited about them. And it also builds community because it allows us to not only add to our mailing list so that we have new customers that we can talk to throughout the year and send our newsletters and introduce them to new products, but it creates a sense of excitement and a sense of urgency so that people will be excited to get in there and shop the sale. I guess I should really kind of explain what private sale is. It's when we let people know in advance on social media and via email that we have a private sale that's coming up. And in order to be able to access the private sale, they'll need a special password. We don't tell them the day the sale is going to launch. And it takes us weeks in advance to get all of the stock ready and build the sale. When we launch the sale, we email our mailing list where we've been collecting all of these emails and the people who are already on our mailing list. We email them the password to get into the sale and a link to access the sale. And it takes them to the sale page on our website and they need to enter that password. And when they enter the password, they can get into the sale and shop the sale. So you're creating an urgency and need to shop because these are really special items. And in many cases, there's only one or two of them. And you're also making it into an event that's going to happen at one time within a short period of time, instead of being something that goes on for months and months. And when you just see the emails keep coming in, now they're marked further markdowns, further markdowns. Nope, this is like, it's going to happen in a, in a week and it's going to be done. We promote it about two weeks, starting two or three weeks in advance of the sale and um, and we use like specifically designed graphics for that sale to build the uh, build the excitement, and also we use Facebook ads to bring in new leads to introduce more people to the the brand and the the products at that time. Okay, well that brings up a whole another thing. I didn't realize you were also using Facebook ads to bring in new leads. So mm-hmm. with those Facebook ads, are you just retargeting your current shop visitors or do you go after cold traffic as well? We go after cold traffic as well. Okay. So I have all my different audiences that I've built and look like audiences. And then I send out the private sale ads to those people and use those to bring in. So in the week before or I'd say the two weeks before this last sale launched, I added to our existing audience, I added another third of those people again in new new leads from Facebook ads. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, hundreds or even a thousand leads, something like that? Yes, thousands. Oh, thousands of new leads. Okay. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> okay. That's really exciting. And so can you talk me through like what that image looks like in your ad copy that you're using? Sure. I usually look for a product that I know we're going to have in the sale that is a popular product and I know people are interested in. And that can also be products that are styles that are retiring. So, 
you know, last year we retired our fox and wolf coats. They've been like one of our first styles and we're actually going to introduce a new version of those. So I wanted to sell through all the remaining stock that we had. So I look back in my, in my sort of all my different photos that I have and come up with whatever is going to be the theme for that, that sale. And then those photos will be used in all the private sale ads so that they will match. Okay. And so I come up with the basic image for it. And it's an Instagram format on that because it also works on Facebook. And, and I just create something that says private sale is coming soon. Are you on the list? And so this is sort of the call to action. In the comment section of the Instagram post or the Facebook post, I put a little bit more information and say, this is our exciting biannual private sale. We've been saving up samples and sort of explain what we're putting in there. And I sort of outline what the sale is about in the text. So for old people who have already followed us, they see that and they know, okay, I need to start paying attention to Little Goodall because I want to shop this sale. And for new people who don't know what we are, it, it tells them what the sale is. And it, it's basically saying, you don't know when it's going to land, but if you are on the email list, the VIP list, then you'll get an email and an invitation to shop. Okay. And I kind of love the fact that it's a surprise landing for when the sale happens because if I'm on that list and I want in on the sale, what I would be doing is scouring my inbox for an email from you every single day. And so my hunch would be that your email open rates might be quite a bit higher than what most of us business owners experience. You know, I think they would be, but I don't actually send out any emails between. <laughs> it's a good that's a good point, Bethan. I don't actually send out any emails between when we um, when we start signifying that and when the sale is launched. But I would say that we do have our social media traffic is more. So we get more likes on Instagram in in that time period because people are paying more attention to us than if we're not normally coming up in their feed. Okay. Now, do you know what your open rate is for the email that you send that's basically, hey, it's live, you know, here's the sale? So this year was new and different because this year we had just switched over to ConvertKit. I'd been using MailChimp before and MailChimp worked great for it. But what I wanted to do was to be able to get a little bit more information from my customers so that I can serve them better. And that's why I switched to ConvertKit because I wanted to be able to know who my customers were shopping for. So this was definitely sort of a, a, a wild sale, getting everything ready and figuring out how to you know, get everybody loaded into ConvertKit. Okay, so on the first launch that went out to everybody, I had a 32.8% open rate. That's very good. And then I sent again, I resent to, because ConvertKit let me do that, to those who hadn't. Um, and then there was another, uh, so my cumulative for that first email was 41.1% open rate. Okay, that's fabulous. How many days does it take for you to sell out of everything in the VIP sale? The bulk of the sale happens in the first 24 hours. Okay. Wow. It's kind of wild because it's like we have to have all hands on deck. Like my husband, it's on a weekend, so my assistant isn't here, but my husband and I are sitting there and I'm just trying to like answer questions as quickly as I can and facilitate everything for people who have questions or, or aren't sure or say they didn't get the password and, and you know keep, every, keep everything moving smoothly. But the bulk happens in that first 24 hours. Now, my husband had a really good idea that I did this time that I've never done before, and it was brilliant because it really closed out the sale for us. And he said, 
you need to end the sale. Usually what I'd done in the past in previous seasons was I would launch the sale, it would run, and then maybe after a week or two weeks, there were still things left, but all the special things, the things that were it one piece, one-offs sold out, I would just remove that lock from my Shopify store. And so anybody could shop what was left. And it was no longer private sale. It was just sort of the sale page. And this time, my husband said, you need to try closing the sale at the end of the week and cleaning it out. And so last week, or at the finish of the last private sale, I actually posted the sale is going to be ending. And then I posted the end time and last chance to shop. And I sent one more email to everybody, last call for private sale. I got a significant number, another boost in those sales, which was incredible. So it really helped. It reminded people who may not have been in there before to get back in there. It reminded people it's gonna, there's going to be an end to this. So it creates that urgency and, and it allowed us to be able to um, get a lot more product out to customers who maybe wouldn't have shopped otherwise. Such a great idea, adding in that urgency. And then will you just hold on to any remaining items and put those up in the next VIP sale or will you yep. you know, do something else? Yes, we'll hang on to them and we can add them to the next sale in at the end of August. I should also add like the mechanism that I'm using for this is in Shopify. There's an app called Locksmith. And Locksmith allows me to put those password protected locks on whole categories. Now that the sale is over, I actually have it so that it's hidden those collections completely. So when you go to our site, there's no sale section at all anymore. It's not visible. Okay. So is, does the Locksmith app cost a certain amount? I am subscribed at $29 a month for Locksmith. Okay. But in your case, it's very much worth it. For your, yeah. Yeah. for your VIP sales. Gotcha. Yeah. And I'm guessing Locksmith allows you to build out all your listings, add all those products, and then basically just choose the time when you're going to set it live and create the password. Yeah. So what I'm doing is I'm just building a collection within Shopify, but Locksmith, it just makes it so that no one can access it unless they have the password. And actually you can, you can set it so that you don't even have to have a password. It's just so that nobody can access it. And so when my assistant and I are, are building the sale, we can get in there and do everything, but it's not visible to anyone else until we decide what that password is going to be and share it. Okay. That makes sense. And I love that you can just start prepping as far in advance as you want and just be working behind the scenes. What does the revenue look like for these VIP sales that you run or maybe as a percentage of your business income, how, how does it factor in? Our biggest months are our private sale months. Okay. And and these are months that were historically our lowest months. So it's February and August. February is because we are, you know, it's Christmas is over. November, December are big months for us. So I didn't have much revenue coming in in February because usually we were starting to ship spring, but we didn't have that much. And people weren't ready to buy spring yet because it was still cold, but they weren't buying coats either. And then in August, again, it's like the end of the summer, everybody's going back to school. You're not buying coats yet, but you're not buying new summer clothes either. So it's been a way to make those months that were historically our lowest months, actually our biggest months. That is pretty incredible. I mean, 
to take a month that's your slowest month. And again, your business is one where I could see that November and December would be so big for you. And, you know, what a special gift it would be for someone to be gifting one of your coats or one of your other items. But to then take February and August and make those surpass what you would see for holiday sales. That's very impressive. Yeah, it's it's exciting. And each season, as we kind of tweak it and figure out new ways to make it work and new ways to get people excited about it, we're able to grow it a little bit more. You know, it's it's kind of directly, I think, in proportion to the size of our email list, because the more people who know about it, the more people are going to shop it. It's also important that I have enough stock in there. So I try to stock it with the idea of what I want my final sales figure to be so that I can make sure there's enough product in there for people to, because if they get in there and there's nothing interesting for them, then I'm not going to sell anything. Gotcha. About how many items do you have for the private sale in terms of like total quantity, but then maybe variety as well. I try to have twice as much. I'll like, as we're, as we're listing everything, I will try to have twice as much as what I want my final sales figure to be. Okay. So I I really try to pad it to make sure there's lots in there. And as part of that, I will send more things to photographers because I know when I get those things back, I can add them to the private sale. And so it's sort of like double I, I not only get to use the great images that those photographers take and and have that to use on social media and for branding, but then I also have products that I can offer to customers who might not be able to buy one at full price. So it, it's kind of freed us up with that. That's such an interesting way to think about it. And you're so right. It's So it's, it's no longer like, oh, I'm giving up this product if I'm sending it to a photographer. It's no, I'm getting back these great images and then I'm gaining a product to add into my private sale. Yes. Yep, exactly. And how many, how many different photographers are using your items in a given year? So I started working with a, a PR agency about a year and a half ago, and that was kind of how I'm not, I'm not working with them anymore, but it taught me a lot about how they work. And they kept a monthly schedule going that they sent to me every week that had people who had requested products and what the products were that they requested and the sizes and then, um, then where it was going. So like whether I had shipped it or not and whether it was coming back. And that really got me thinking about like, this is the way I need to run my sort of influencer and PR. I can get this going for myself so I can reach out to people and send out products for this sort of thing. So I'd say at any time, we probably have at least 10 different products out or boxes of products out with different influences or influencers or photographers. In some cases, we won't get it back. And that's okay because that influencer is somebody who is going to bring us a lot of value in how they're sharing our products online and tagging us. And in some cases, we do get them back. So like if it's a magazine or a bigger company, they will usually always send it back unless you tell them you don't want it back. And that's the stuff that goes to private sale. Okay, that makes sense. I know you mentioned actually inside our Brilliant Business Moms Facebook group about this really cool program that helped you, or website, maybe I should say, that helped you connect with influencers. 
and find the right people to send your product to and to help you make affiliate sales. Yes. But it sounds like as well that you also are hunting for photographers on your own. Is that true? Yeah, it is true. Sometimes there are people that I'll just really like their work and I'll reach out to them and ask them if they'd be interested in doing photographing our things. Sometimes they'll reach out to me and say, Hey, we'd love to, you know, I'd love to shoot some of your stuff. Sometimes it's just a mom who loves this stuff and she's also a photographer. So it depends. It comes a variety of different ways, but there's two different affiliate marketing programs that we work with through what you're talking about, which is pepper jam. One of them is reward style and reward style is how we actually started working with pepper jam. It's whenever you're looking at somebody's post on Instagram and it says like, like to know it. And it's like a network of influencers who are there monetizing their posts through using reward style, the network. And so with them, we will look for influencers that we really like their work and reach out to them about, can we send you some product to use with this? Or, you know, it gives us a way to target people who we like their aesthetic and we think we'd be a good fit with them who may not be aware of us otherwise. And there's another another program that's similar that allows you to kind of reach out to influencers or you you list, this is my project, and I think it's called Shopping Links. You list, hey, I've got this new project. I need this collateral to go with it. I, I'm looking for a mom who's an influencer who has children between these ages, who has this photographic aesthetic, and then they apply through the platform, and then you choose who you want to work with and go through there. So there are lots of different ways that we're reaching out to people. And So in those cases, I know you're probably paying a certain amount to be part of Pepper Jam. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I was just going to say there's there's a monthly there's like a monthly fee and I don't know whether it changes for different people but it's it's for us it's worth it for what we're doing. I think we pay like $250 a month. Okay. Then is there do you also assign a certain fee or payment to those projects that you're putting out there so that influencer knows ahead of time, "Oh, if I get picked for this project, little good all is going to pay me X amount to you know, take these photos or post on social media? If it's someone that we're working with through Pepper Jam, then they are getting commissions off of any sales that result in their photograph. If it's someone who is working with directly with us, in that case, usually we're just providing product for them. And so they're getting the product in exchange for the promotion. And we can also, um, if they feel like if they're not a part of a network like Reward Style or Shopping Links, we can give them a specific coupon code that they can share with their readers. And then if anyone buys the product using that coupon code, then we can send them a commission based on that. So there are lots of little hacks to get around not working with a big commission affiliate marketing platform. That makes sense. Okay. I think that's really encouraging though, that you could just like with pepper jam, yes, you're paying the monthly fee, but if you are able to find enough fabulous people where the fit is there, the style is there, their social media reach is strong. And then your only additional payments are for the sales that they're making. That's a pretty great deal. Yeah, it's worked well for us. It took a, a while to kind of figure out what the best fit was going to be, especially because so many influencer marketing has changed to the point where you see a lot of the really big influencers and having huge corporations that are sponsoring their posts. And it's 
just way out of anything that we could do as a little brand. So you just have to kind of figure out how you can best work with what your budget is. And our budget is really low for any kind of anything like that. So it's, it's, it's just kind of being creative with it. Now, do you have any tips on what to look for when someone is applying for a particular project? How, how would you know if they're going to be a good fit to partner with? I'd say the more specific you can get in what you need and what your expectations are, the better. So, um, and I learned this from the PR company that I was working with. They wanted to know very specifically, you know, when the product was going to be photographed, when the images were going to be published, if they were going to be published in something, when we would be getting it back. And so what you want to avoid is, having something that you send out there and you never, you're having to chase it down and you never get any usable images or you never hear anything about it afterwards. And that has happened to us too. So we tried to learn from that. So being very specific about how many images, how many posts, whether the posts are going to be static and stay on there. If you're seeking for them to share your images on their feed, you know, whether they're going to stay there or whether they're going to go away. And I think the more sort of you can go back and forth with them and talk about what you're looking for and what they're looking for, talk about how it's going to be presented. I know for a while we had people who wanted to do product reviews it when product reviews were really big and they would all want this specific bunny coat and it was a linen bunny coat and we would press it and make it beautiful and then we'd ship it to them and when they got it, if they didn't also press it and make it look beautiful, it really didn't photograph well because it just looked, you know, linen wrinkles. And so after sending it to a couple of influencers where I just thought, I don't even want to share, you know, the review because the photo, it just looks, it doesn't look good in the photo. I learned to be very specific in terms of, I'd be happy to send you this item you requested, but can you please assure us that it will be pressed or steamed before photography? Because so if you can get them to let you see the photos in advance or approve the photos, that works really great too. It's just really building that sort of relationship with that person to understand so that you and they are expecting the exact same things. Gotcha. And are you sending out a specific contract for each of these cases that is outlining then all the requirements and expectations? Not like a signed contract, but it is, it's sort of documented in the emails. So we can go back and see, you know, we're, we're going to send you these things. We were, are going to provide us these. And then they agree to that. And then we ship the item. And for some people, you can just tell from there, if they are influencers, you can tell from their feeds based on the partnerships they've had in the past and the quality of the photography and the presentation. And for those, you don't really have to worry about it because you can look through there and see who they've worked with. And you can see that all the photos in their grid are, you know, uniform or they all work in this way. They're all high quality. And those are the ones that I think it's very easy to trust. Okay. That makes sense. What do you do when people complain about your price? Because <laughs> that's a big thing. So last year we started, I started working with a company that was doing my Facebook marketing for me. It was a misstep and I learned a lot from it. But one of the things I learned was when they were promoting our product to the wrong audience, we had people commenting on pricing. And when that happened, I realized very quickly this audience they've created in Facebook, there's something in this audience that's not my customer because 
when someone knows our product or can learn a little bit more about us, they know why it's expensive. It's because it's 100% wool or it's because this is handmade or this is made in the United States and we make sure that our employees are paid a living wage. So these are all, all reasons why our product is more expensive than other things. But when it was being served to the wrong audiences, those audiences were not either taking the time to understand that or, or were just commenting on the pricing. In some cases, I would respond to them and I would explain to them, these are our company values and this is why this is expensive. And, and in some cases, it was just a signal to me to say, you know, these are, this, there's something that's not right about the audience we're promoting this to, the cold audience. So that tells me that we need to adjust that based on, based on that. Okay, that makes sense. And basically, I think my big takeaway is that you don't take that feedback and use that to second guess everything you're doing and wonder and doubt. Oh, should I change my price? Should I lower? Oh, people are complaining. You're very confident in the quality of the product you're creating. You're confident in your company values. Like you mentioned that your employees are paid a living wage and it's made in the United States and all of those things. And so you don't, it seems like you're very confident in your pricing choices. Yeah. You know, the private sales are when we can offer things at lower prices. And in the summer, we have prices, things that are priced lower as well. But um, no, I do. I am, I am confident. I know what goes into everything that we make and the price reflects that. That makes sense. And I, I think so many of us women business owners need to develop that confidence in our pricing. You know, we need to sit down and really work through all the math and the numbers and our company values and decide that it's okay if our product is not for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And if you love your product, you've put, you know, you've put a lot into that and, and, you know, you know why all those little things are, are part of it. And, and so, you know, we, we have that knowledge intrinsically of why it's special and why it costs what it does, but we won't be in business long if we price things below their value. And, and, you know, I love what I do and I want to keep doing it. I love that too. And actually I have to confess, like I was almost in that boat. If I kept doing those mini classes that I had been doing in the past where I would offer a $15 ticket to the live class, it really was going to drive me out of business. And I was so burned out and you know, it's just, yeah. I mean, I think I'm going to do a totally separate (laughs) podcast episode all about it because it was hard. I was trying to serve my audience who said time and time again, that price was a factor, but at the same time, like you said, you're creating a quality product. You love what you do. You want to be in business for a long time. And so if you want to stay in business, you have to price things appropriately. Yeah. And that actually sort of le- sort of leads into your other question about um intentionally staying small. Yes. And and that's the that's sort of the the other um the reason why we're staying small because I, I like being able to being able to control what's going on. I don't want to have, you know, my goal was never to have like a huge team army of people working for me or to scale a business as quickly as I possibly could to be as big as it possibly could. I I want to be able to still spend time with my son like I am this week because it's spring break and do things that interest me at my own pace and not feel that I am driven by the need to bring in amounts of money, that I'm driven by my curiosity and interest in projects and in what I'm doing 
and in growing at a pace that's comfortable to me. And so that's kind of what's kept us the way we are. I really love the people I work with. I've been working with them all for years now. This is our ninth year. And so I feel good with where we are <laughs> and, and being able to take these little baby steps every year without, without taking giant strides and, and trying to make, you know, thousands of one garment instead of making hundreds. I'm still cool with making hundreds. <laughs> okay. I love that too. I think that is a shared value between many women in the Brilliant Business Moms community where we are not about scaling at all costs. We are, you know, we want businesses that work around our lives. We don't want to create some sort of a beast that then runs us and takes over everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of us are, we're like, we we're moms because we love being moms and, (laughs) and, and that's, that's part of our like core values, the time that we want to spend with our kids while they're young. And a, a lot of times the natural growth of something is you get, you're not, you're not working from your little office anymore. You're going, you're going somewhere else. You're going to a big office building. You're working with this big team and the whole company's schedule becomes your schedule. And, and so that's, I, I think that wouldn't be fun. I agree. <laughs> well, I think that was a great way to end this interview, Molly. I've learned so much <laughs> from sitting down and chatting with you today. But I'm, I'm guessing you probably remember this from last time, and I totally forgot to remind you. But do you have either a funny or adorable mom moment <laughs> that's happened recently? Oh. <laughs> I know. Oh I forgot God. to remind you. I'm trying to think now. He did something funny the other day. I can't remember it. He's just a funny kid. <laughs> let me look at my let me look at my notes here. My little gratitude journal. I always write down funny stuff that he did. Aw. <laughs> yeah, I tried to do that too. So my son Carter is he's 10 now. Um he was 2 when I started the business. Aww. So he's grown a lot. This was <laughs> this was funny. He he asked me about he asked me about something that made me laugh. And I started telling him about this one memory that I have that always makes me laugh. And I started laughing so hard that I was crying. <laughs> and then and then he started panicking. And he was like, don't think about it, Mom. Don't think about it anymore. And he really got freaked out at how hard I was laughing at this this goofy memory. So I guess that, that could be my moment. It was just, <laughs> he got scared at how hard that he made me laugh by just remembering something. And then he didn't want to even hear what it was that I remembered that made me laugh so hard. <laughs> That is pretty funny. <laughs> he must be a really fun kid if uh, if a memory yeah, love, of something funny he did made you. Well, thanks again, Molly. This has been so great. <laughs> Where's the best place that we can all find you online, Molly? Littlegoodall.com. Um, and it's just L-I-T-T-L-E and Goodall, G-O-O-D-A-L-L, like Jane Goodall. She's not related, though. <laughs> and then on Instagram, um, our, we're at Little Goodall on Instagram, and we always try to have good stuff and news and updates on there, too. Great. And yes, your Instagram feed is always so fun to check out because again, it's just kids in the most beautiful, adorable coats. I, I just love it. Thank you, Bethann. Did I tell you or what? I always learn so much when I chat with Molly. She's so talented. She's so strategic. But best of all, she also cares really deeply about building a business that works for her. That's a common trend among us brilliant business moms. We don't want businesses that run our lives. We want it to be the other way around. At the time Molly and I chatted, her son was actually on spring break and they were headed off to the aquarium right after our talk. 
I just love that. We brilliant business moms are balancing family and business life all day, every day, right? One of the ways I make sure my business doesn't take over my entire life is by developing a brilliant marketing plan for the products that I want to launch into the world. I don't love being chained to social media feeling like the only way I get sales is when I'm posting about a product. That gets really old and it's really stressful. And hint, hint, it gets a little bit old. And of course, now it's your turn to head on out there and be brilliant single day. Instead, what you want to do is take your audience on a beautiful journey where they feel heard, understood, their objections are answered, their questions are answered, and they are now ready to buy your incredible product. If you'd like to create your own brilliant marketing plan, make sure you head to brilliantbusinessmoms.com forward slash marketing plan because I've got a fabulous freebie just for you. It'll walk you through the five key steps you have to take to create a brilliant marketing plan for your business.